winning's hard. Really, really hard. Saturday edition of the Winning is Hard podcast for you guys. Cameron Parker alongside Westcott Eberts. You might be listening on your way to the Texas-Kansas game, maybe a little tailgate, or maybe you're going to have a more enjoyable Saturday night than by watching Texas first Kansas. Westcott, how are you doing today? Doing pretty well, Cam. How are you doing? Doing good. Um, for the first time in quite some time, I think we're more excited about a Texas basketball game than a Texas football game, right? Yeah, no question about that. Uh, Texas in Spokane tonight and um, have a chance to um, set a couple program first. I've never beaten Gonzaga um, and have never beaten an AP number one team. Yeah, it should be a really exciting game. Kind of like Texas, Gonzaga has a lot of new faces, a really young roster for Mark Few. They still have uh, Timmy, and they got uh, the string bean, Chet Holmgren, I believe his name, or is it Holmgren or Holmgren? Holmgren, Holmgren. okay. Well, they call him the string bean. Uh, he was compared, I think the ringer had a piece on him today. They compared him uh, Joel Embiid, but weighs as much as Steph Curry. Yeah, and um, Chris Beard in his press conference on Wednesday um, compared them a little bit to Kevin Durant, similar builds um, in college, and Holmgren, a guy who can uh, make a lot of plays with the basketball in his hands, um, and also uh, probably maybe a big difference with Kevin Durant, um, very good rim protector as well, like truly um, a seven-footer, had seven blocks in that game, also six assists, 14 points, and uh, double-digit rebounds as well. So uh, quite a performance for Holmgren to start his career. That's against D- Dixie State. Uh, Texas a little bit better than that, but um, it's going to be a tough matchup for the Longhorns with the strength in that front court with Holmgren and Timmy. Yeah, Texas, of course, coming off a 92-48 victory over Houston Baptist to start the Chris Beard era. What do you see from the Texas season opening win last week? Yeah, well, I thought, um, you know, Ron Cottrell, the, the longtime coach at Houston Baptist, he's been there for over 30 years. Um, we had a really good conversation with him after the game. And, you know, one thing that he really pointed out was, you know, the, the question coming into the season for Texas uh, with so many transfers, especially guys who were lead scorers for their previous teams, um, how they would really gel together and, and um, you know, what type of cohesion the, the Texas team could have. I thought they were really good um, in that area in the first game. They shot uh, 64% from the field. Uh, they shot really well from, from three-point range, so they were extremely efficient. Um, even though they had seven total turnovers for Marcus Carr and Timmy Allen, mostly in the first half. Um, I think those guys will get a little bit more comfortable. Uh, they'll protect the ball a little bit better. Um, but really, uh, the big concern coming out of the game, uh, Texas gave up 16 rebounds, uh, offensive rebounds to Houston Baptist, including a stretch in the second half when they're really struggling to get any defensive boards as well. Uh, so my big concern going in into this game um, you know, on Saturday night is, is just the Longhorns being able to clean up on the defensive glass. The starting lineup against Houston Baptist and in the exhibition game had Timmy Allen, who's 6'6", Christian Bishop, who's 6'7". Um, Texas doesn't have their best rebounder on the court yet, uh, Dylan Disu. And he's still working his way back from a knee injury. Um, but, you know, Texas may have to think about playing uh, Trey Mitchell and Christian Bishop on the floor together a little bit more. Um, especially because Gonzaga has a – their leading scorer in the first game was their sophomore wing, uh, Julian Strother. So uh, Texas may need to go a little bit bigger to be able to match up with the uh, Zags tonight. 
Yeah, and Dylan DeSue was cleared for five on five, I think Chris Beard said this week, but still unclear whether or not he's going to play tonight or when he will return. But yeah, rebounding is definitely an issue. They struggled at times against Houston Baptist, but against Gonzaga, I'm not sure how much of an issue it would be. Gonzaga statistically is not a great rebounding team, but as we get deeper and deeper into the season, it'll be interesting to see how this team does match up against teams with bigger front courts. Yep, Kansas, uh, definitely mm-hmm. Oklahoma, uh, two teams that, that really come to mind. Um, you know, one thing about, about the Bulldogs tonight, um, you know, they did have a lot of turnovers in their first game. Um, and then the other thing, they, they didn't shoot well from three-point range. Um, so I think, you know, Texas may want to um, pack the paint a little bit, try to force Gonzaga to shoot up over them instead of being able to score in the post. Uh, they may, you know, double down a little bit. Um, on, on Timmy and Holmgren, um, if they have those post touches. And, you know, they need to force turnovers. Um, Cottrell's point the other night was that, you know, turnovers are, are better than than defensive rebounds. Uh, so if Texas can can turn the Bulldogs over, uh, get out into the open court, then, um, you know, they can they can have that advantage in, in, in shots maybe and, and possessions overall uh, that might be able to make up uh, for giving up a handful of offensive rebounds. So you were there on Tuesday for the Texas season opener. Was it was it weird? Because I, I was there also, and it was weird being there at the Irwin Center for the first time, not having Shaka Smart as the head coach and not seeing you know the same old Texas guys. Of course, you still had Courtney Ramey and Andrew Jones and Jace Fabris, but seeing all these new guys come out into the court, you know, it's itself like the first time in forever where you're trying to remember, okay, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Oh, is he a five star? Was he a transfer? You know, did, did you have that same feeling? Because I, I was you know looking at my phone, looking at the roster throughout the game, trying to remember who is who and who is what and et cetera. I think what really struck me was um, just the amount of energy in the Irwin Center. Yeah. Um, especially for the season opener, it's been a really long time since, you know, there is a good, really engaged crowd. And I, I think Chris Beard really deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, he's, he's spent a lot of time and effort uh, building relationships with, with students. Um, you know, obviously the, the incentive um, for that game was having a party at the tower. If the students came out and then filled up uh, both of the sections behind the baskets and, and they did that. And, and I think it, it wasn't just people showing up, but they're really engaged in the game as well. And that, you know, really went for the rest of the fans. I think um, there's, there's really good energy and it's, um, it's been a long time since I've, I've felt that in the Irwin center. Yeah. The closest thing I could remember, I think was the Texas Oklahoma game when uh, the ESPN's college basketball version of game day came out, the Andrew Jones game, um, the t-shirts, that's the closest energy that I felt in that one. Maybe the Oklahoma state game from two years ago when Texas came on that winning streak and then got blown out by like 25 points. Uh, the epitome, it went went quiet really quickly that game. Yeah. Epitome of the shock of smart era, unfortunately. But so far, who, who's impressed you? I know it's only been one game a long ways to go, and, but we did get to see you know pretty much the entire team get to play against Houston Baptist, even a few walk-ons. Who, who struck you the most watching that game on Tuesday as, as a player that excites you maybe? I think offensively, Trey Mitchell um, is, definitely, is definitely that guy. Um, I think he, he really has the most developed um, low post game of a Texas player since – um, I don't know. I mean, 
Dexter Pittman maybe <laughs> comes to mind. Um, I think, but I, I think Mitchell is even better than that. So, so I think you can really go back, uh, you know, a long time in this program and not have anyone, um, you know, who can really catch the ball on the block, um, score with both hands. Um, he's a guy also has a good mid-range game. Um, he can shoot from three. Uh, so just a, a really versatile um, offensive weapon. Um, you know, one thing that that stood out to me as well with him is that he works really hard for low post positions. And so he, he drew a couple of fouls on Houston Baptist, which is, you know, actually a surprisingly big team, um, you know, for the level that they play at. Um, and, and so I think just that ability to put opposing bigs in foul trouble, trying to keep him from getting those touches, um, is, is something that's, um, you know, really a unique skill in college basketball now. And, um, you know, that that's the type of thing where, you know, Houston Baptist and at some point in the second half decided that they couldn't guard him one-on-one in the post. So they started to send double teams at him as well. Mm-hmm. And so that's an area where if you can force opponents to do that, then that's really going to open up everything else for all the perimeter players, uh, whether it's driving to the basket or, or being able uh, to knock down open threes. And so he's kind of a force multiplier for the Texas offense. Um, defensively, uh, I, I really believe that he doesn't start uh, because he he struggles in that area. Um, I think some of it is physical. Um, he doesn't have great lateral quickness. So players that, that have that um, advantage on him, um, I, I think are going to cause some problems driving to the basket uh, when Mitchell's in the game. But, um, you know, obviously Chris Beard is a very demanding coach in that area of the game. And I think that, um, you know, if, if Mitchell can get his motor running hot, I think he can help himself a little bit in that area. Uh, but, you know, I think the rest of the team, um, you know, perhaps for the entire season may have to uh, make up for his deficiencies a little bit defensively. Yeah. And this, the touch on your, his post game, he had that move against Texas Lutheran where he finished with his left hand on a hook. And it was just like, wow, we haven't seen anything like that from a Texas player in a long time. And even though Shaq could did recruit bigger guys, you know, they were mostly the athletic uber athletic types, you know, they didn't have that, you know, post download game like Miles Turner or Jackson Hayes um, or even Kai Jones. But yeah, like, yeah, Mo Baba, exactly. Um, I like Marcus Carr a lot at point guard. I like the way he he plays. Um, I think he's a really smart player. I'm excited to watch this season. There's a lot of guys on this this text. I think this could really be one of the best Texas teams in a long time. I think it could be the best team since, you know, the Jordan Hamilton, Corey Joseph, Tristan Thompson team. Yeah, no question about that. I, I, I think it's, it's certainly the, the most talented all around team. And um, I think it's, you know, obviously the most experienced too. I thought, um, excuse me, control said something else that was really interesting. You know, um, he mentioned that, that Houston Baptist has lost their, leading score to the uh, transfer portal each of the last five seasons. And so his point was that um, there's no program building anymore. You team build from year to year. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that Shaka Smart made was that he took a program building approach. And because Texas lost Isaiah Taylor after his first season, um, sorry, uh, after Rick Barnes' last season, uh, Taylor didn't return for his senior year. No, it was that. No, he he did play one season with Shaka, and then he yeah. decided to return. Sorry, um, 
But anyway, um, after Taylor left, you know, Texas tried to play with Snoop Roach and, and Andrew Jones um, as the point guards the next year. Um, it was a terrible season, the year that Tevin Mack uh, got kicked off the team as well. And I, I think that really a lot of people kind of bailed on uh, the shock of smart experience after that year. And then, you know, the plan was always to, you know, land Matt Coleman. And then, you know, it took a long time for Matt Coleman to become the experienced point guard that they wanted. So, um, you know, Chris Beard, I, I think is taking, um, you know, more of that, that team building approach that Cottrell was talking about. And um, I think that should, you know, really benefit Texas. Uh, clearly, uh, you know, the roster is there this year for them, but, um, you know, Beard, probably one of the most capable coaches um, to deal with, you know, this new era of uh, college basketball. And hopefully Beard can show Steve Sarkeesian how to work the transfer portal because God knows Texas football is going to need it. And Texas does play Kansas tonight. We haven't talked too much about it. We probably won't spend too much time on it. But uh, football has been the news, not for their matchup against the Jayhawks, but because of the Bo Davis video. And do we get, we, I don't think we, got this, we spoke about it because that happened Monday, right? And the news came out Tuesday. Yep. So, of course, if you're listening, you haven't seen the video, haven't heard it. Following the loss to Iowa State, Bo Davis let out a few MFers on the bus ride back home. It was leaked from presumably a Texas player. We don't know who it is, but it made the course of social media. And Sarkeesian talked about it on Thursday. You wrote a piece on it. Wes Scott, he didn't deny it, you know, and he, he said, I believe his words were, I'm happy that Bo Davis' family got to hear it. Yeah, no question. Uh, you know, Steve Sarkeesian definitely uh, defending his assistant coach. Um, I think at least publicly, you know, he really viewed that as a culture building moment for this program. Um, clearly, they need that. Um, and, I, you know, I think one of one of the things that I really came out of that with was the extent to which the fact that the video leaked was very disappointing and said something at least about one player on the Texas program who, you know, could very well quietly depart after going through the the internal discipline um, that was decided upon by by Steve Sarkeesian and, and the leadership council of this Texas team. Um, but I think from, um, you know, the outside perspective, I think it was really something that, that galvanized the fan base. Um, and not, not only the fan base, but former players, current players, um, recruits, I think all really came out and were extremely supportive of Davis and the message that he was delivering, um, you know, to the team. And so, you know, I think that's something that in the midst of a four-game losing streak, um, to have sort of all the BBs jumping back into the box, um, so to speak, to kind of uh, paraphrase uh, Mac Brown back in the day. I I, I think ultimately um, it was a really positive thing um, for the program for you know people to be able to see that. And you know, like I said, it's it's not the type of thing that that you want leaked. But um, I think actually there's probably a net benefit from that happening. 
Yeah, it's kind of brought everyone together, uh, current players and, and past players, it seems like. I mean, you go on Texas Twitter, all these accounts, and you see Bo Davis, uh, his picture as their Twitter avatar, which is hilarious. So I think it, it kind of had the opposite effect. But we, we don't know why it was leaked or how it was leaked. It came out three days after the Texas-Iowa State game. So this player could have recorded it, sent it to a friend, girlfriend, whatever, and then it got sent to another person and then ended up being leaked out. The account that posted it on Twitter – what didn't come from a media member, didn't come from a player. Uh, it just seemed like a, a normal kind of Texas burner account. So not sure the intentions. The intentions of the player couldn't have been malicious, right? They couldn't have been putting it out there to say, oh, I hope this comes back and, you know, bites Bo Davis and Texas in the ass. You know, they're saying the F word, yada, yada, yada. We don't know the intent, but still it is disappointing that something like this did come out, whether or not it was meant to be posted. Right, and I think the, the chain of custody on that video um, – would be a fascinating thing to to be able to really unravel there, um, but yeah, I mean that's ultimately you know not the most important thing, and and you know in terms of that video leaking, I think you know one of Sark's big things was that um, you know if it happens next time, he doesn't want it to come out, um, but also if that kind of speech has to happen, you know one thing that the former players really um, spent so much time like really talking about was how like Juan Cosby, you know, back in the day, that would have been a player that was, that was going on that rant. And so I think, you know, one thing that that video really signaled was the continued lack of player leadership on this team. And, you know, Sark was quick to point out that he, that he thinks he has, you know, guys on the team who are capable of it. Um, It was a subject of, of conversation even on Monday before that, um, you know, came out and, and he was talking about how if there are players who aren't who aren't <clears throat> playing to their capability on the field, then they're not really going to feel like they are in a position to make those speeches to their teammates because they're not taking care of their business first. And so I think that's an area where just the, the players struggling to put it together has an impact on that leadership um, because, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to be effective if there's a guy standing up who is busting coverages or who's missing assignments on the offensive line blocking or, you know, a wide receiver who is busting routes like players were in that game against Iowa State. So I think, I think some of it is just about executing better on the field. And then if that happens, um, you know, then then some of those leadership capabilities that are, um, you know, latent in some of these players, uh, but are coming out yet, I, I think, um, you know, will we'll really start to develop. Yeah, I think Sarkeesian used Roshan as an example uh, on Monday, as he talked about him as one of the, the biggest leaders on the team, but he's also someone that only gets, you know, a few carries a game. So alluded back to that point you just made about if a player is not playing a lot or not playing well, it's hard you know, to look up to them as a leader, maybe from another player, but also just shows that just the current state of this Texas football team that's still without a leader, or at least that the media that we see out there on the field. And we have, you know, three games left to go. And by the time you probably listen to us, listen to this one, it might be just two games left. But yeah, and I mean, to, you know, in the case of Roshan Johnson, certainly I think. Um, you know, the turf toe injury that he's apparently been dealing with for, with for some time 
um, you know, probably has an impact on that. He hasn't had more than five carries since um, the TCU game, I believe. I think he had seven. Um, didn't receive any carries in the Oklahoma game. I sort of suspect that might have been when that turf injury, turf toe injury popped up. He's a game time decision um, against Kansas. So it's Bijan Robinson. Uh, so is DeMarvin Oversh- Overshone. Uh, Texas, you know, may need to replace some um, some key contributors tonight. Uh, the quarterback situation, uh, very much up in the air. Sarkeesian, um, you know, pulled this team yesterday, uh, who the starting quarterback is going to be, but made it clear that it's a very similar situation. Um, you know, as earlier in the season, both quarterbacks are going to play in this game. And, um, you know, the health of, of Casey Thompson's thumb is, is certainly a big storyline and, and may impact uh, playing time as well against Kansas. Yeah, hopefully this is the game where a lot of different Texas players get to play and a lot of the other guys get to rest up, you know, i.e. Bijan, Roshan, and Casey Thompson. Um, interesting to find out later on, you know, even in the offseason, you know, we'll hear about how healthy really Casey Thompson was during these last four games because the more you watch, the more you think about it, I don't think he's – I mean, statistically and just from the eye test, he hasn't been the same since that thumb injury in the OU game. And it looked like it hasn't even gotten any better considering he was pulled after, what, two series against Iowa State and only completing two of six passes, both, you know, I believe, what, five yards if down the field. So good opportunity for Texas tonight to, to heal up. Hopefully they take care of business. The line is 30 and a half. Um, a lot of Texas fans chuckling at that, but not not a very good Kansas team who are also dealing with quarterback issues. Their starting quarterback, Jason Bean, got injured against Kansas State, and their backup, Miles Kendrick, came in. Two plays later, he gets knocked out of the game. So Jalen Daniels, who coached Leopold, was hoping to redshirt this year, had to come in. Um, and so Leopold, Kendrick, and uh, Thomas McFitty, who started a lot of games last year, were listed on the depth chart, but Bean did take practice so there could be one of four different quarterbacks for kansas playing in this game tonight and texas obviously going to use thompson and hudson card maybe ben ballard gets a shot the now number third string hyde park legend making it on the depth chart congratulations uh to walk on uh, ben ballard for uh beating out charles right uh in practice a little um austin on on austin product competition there uh, the walk-on coming out on top. Uh, a couple things to watch. Uh, Jonathan Brooks uh, may get extended playing time tonight if Bijan Robinson and, and Roshan Johnson aren't able to go. He's a guy that, that Steve Sarkeesian said has earned his opportunities in practice. Uh, had some impressive runs against Rice and Texas Tech in his appearances earlier this season. Um, maybe even, you know, at safety, Mo Blackwell uh, came in as a, as a linebacker recruit. Uh, moved to safety uh, this year, uh, getting a lot of hype from from his teammates and media availabilities this week. Uh, I'm not sure if, if he's quite ready uh, for Texas to, you know, throw throw him out there. Uh, Sarkeesian was very clear on Thursday that they're not going to play guys just to give them an opportunity. It, it has to be earned. Uh, but certainly, you know, it, it sounds like Blackwell is, is getting a little bit closer. And then, you know, of course, the, uh, the weekly ritual of wondering why Texas – stays in a two deep shell um, <laughs> Kansas team. That's going to run a lot of option and doesn't have a lot of capabilities in the downfield passing game. So a little bit more frustration, almost certainly um, in the cards for Texas wins tonight there. 
Yeah, unless Daniels plays, it's going to be mostly rushing Lance Leipold. Uh, I think we've 64% of his plays at Buffalo this past year were all were rushes. Not all, but were rushed. 64% were rushes, and that's been the same with this Kansas offense. Jalen Daniels um, has thrown 24 passes this year compared to just four rushing attempts. So if the freshman does end up playing, they might try to elect to pass it downfield more. But again, um, the two safety look probably going to stay. Sark did talk about Ishmael Ibrahim, um, the freshman. He mentioned him about how he's been practicing well. But just like Blackwell, not really sure who's ready, you know, to get get some snaps on the field. But it, it seems like the last couple of weeks we're seeing Texas defensively rotate different players all over the field. Like they have, they don't have their set eleven. Yeah, there has been uh, quite a bit more rotation, especially at the safety position. Uh, Chris Adamora getting a little bit more playing time. Um, you know, I wonder if maybe Anthony Cook might get a chance back there with, uh, you know, Texas playing a little bit more of that base defense. Um, he made his first appearance. I believe that would have been on the Iowa State depth chart um, at, at, as a backup, you know, at safety due to some of the, the depth concerns there. Um, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see you know, how, how Texas rolls got uh, rolls guys out there. Um, you know, Jalen Ford, uh, David Benda, also guys who could get more extended playing time, maybe Devin Richardson even, um, if, uh, if Demo can't play. Yeah, we saw Ben Davis make a play against Iowa State. He's getting some playing time. Um, so, yeah, it'll be opportunity of a lot for, for Texas guys who haven't played well or, or haven't gotten a lot of reps to get some reps maybe tonight against Kansas as they get ready for a big two-week stretch against West Virginia and Kansas State. Of course, sitting at four and five right now, usually six wins means you're bowl eligible. A program like Texas could get in with five, like they did with Charlie Strong, I believe it was his first year when they went five and seven and got a bid against Arkansas. Um, but I, I think, it, let me ask you this, if Texas wins three, wins out, Kansas, West Virginia, and Kansas State. Does it change your opinion at all of the season or of this team? Or are you already set after this four-game losing streak? It doesn't really matter what happens unless, you know, they lost to Kansas tonight. I think Texas definitely needs that momentum heading into the offseason, um, especially, you know, today. Big big recruiting weekend, you know, on the 40 acres. Um, obviously, the recruits haven't seen what they wanted to see from Texas, all of those uncommitted players um you know it may eventually cost texas evan stewart who seems to be trending towards texas a&m right now certainly you know things in, in college station are, are looking much more positive um you know than they are in austin so um i, I think it would it would change my um perception of the season I, I think it's it's really necessary um for texas you know to really be able to pick up these these three wins but and you mentioned ben davis and you know the funny thing about Ben Davis, the the biggest play that he's made in his Texas career may have been one of the most detrimental plays ultimately to Texas all season, because it was of course that fumble that he that he forced on Spencer Rattler, which yeah. led to Rattler's benching, which led to Caleb Williams taking over and and leading Oklahoma back in that game. And you know maybe if that 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 play doesn't happen and and Rattler um, ends up staying in the game, maybe Texas wins that, maybe. You know, at that point, maybe Casey Thompson doesn't injure his thumb later in that game, and maybe he stays healthy. And you know, this uh, this whole season could look entirely different for Texas. So, um, 
you know, Ben Davis, what if Ben Davis hadn't hadn't forced that fumble? One of the um one of the greatest what ifs for me of, of a single play in the last um, decade of Texas football. The fumble, the kickoff return fumble, and the next week against Oklahoma State, the pick six. Three big what ifs, I think, in this season. It could be a completely different year. But Wes Scott, uh, enjoy the game tonight and enjoy Texas basketball. It's a good weekend for, for Texas athletics outside of football. But we'll be back Monday. The quick recap maybe of this weekend in Texas sports. Hopefully we'll be in a good mood following a Kansas loss. If or following a Kansas game. If it is a Kansas loss, we might you might not hear from us ever again. <laughs> but Wes Scott, thanks for the time. Yep. Thanks, Cam. All right, y'all. Winning's hard. Really, really hard.